0: Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them back up to the book of Joshua, chapter 20. Joshua, chapter 20, and you follow as I read the whole chapter, but it's only nine verses. Stay with me as I read that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired, the very mind of God, as black words on a white page. Here we go. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel... "...appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them." And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled." So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he may not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wasn't that the text that he used for the Lord's Supper back in March? Did he forget? Is he slipping? <laughs> well, the answer to that last question, ladies and gentlemen, is yes. But I'm not slipping so far that I couldn't remember that this was the text that we used in March when we observed the Lord's Supper. But I want to use it again. And I want to use it differently. So here we go. Guys, one of my favorite words in the Bible is the word refuge. Refuge. By the way, I don't think I'm alone in that. David loved the word. David, the psalmist, um, he uses it scores of times, dozens of times in the Psalms, uh, like Psalm 32 when he says, "Be my rock of refuge." Well, well, what is a refuge? What well, when you when you when you hear that word, what what kind of pops into the brain? What is a refuge? Well, it's um, it's a place where I hide. It's a place where um, I'm safe. It's a place where I'm protected from some force that seems to be after me. That's exactly the role that they played in, in Israel in uh, Joshua 20 and elsewhere. That's exactly their intent. That was exactly their purpose, to be a place where where people could hide, a place where people could heal, a place where they could they would be safe and protected. That's what they were. But why do I need one? Why do I need a refuge? Well, there's lots of reasons, ladies and gentlemen. But um I I, I want to mention just a couple. That is, why it is that not only did were places of refuge needed in the Old Testament, places of refuge are needed now. A couple of reasons. First of all, first of all, because there are times when my eyes are red and puffy because I've been crying all night. When, when heavy weights of sorrow seem to press down on me, even depression. Depression, that um that serpent of despair that slithers silently through the back door of my soul. I want to read you a couple of pieces of poetry. I, I'm not big into poetry, as you know, if you've been around here very long. I don't read poetry much. But these two are, 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 are somewhat different. And one's written by a woman. One's written by a man. And they're about the subject of depression. This is the one written by the woman. She says, depression is debilitating, defeating, deepening gloom. Trudging wearily through the grocery store unable to make a simple choice or to count out correct change, surveying an unbelievably messy house, piles of laundry, work undone, and not being able to lift a finger, doubting that God cares, doubting in my prayers, doubting he's even there, sitting, staring wild-eyed into space, desperately wanting out, of the human race, that woman needs a refuge. Let me read you the one the man wrote. His name is Joe Bailey, and it's um, entitled A Psalm in a Hotel Room. Some of you pilots might like this. I'm alone, Lord, alone, a thousand miles from home. There's no one here who knows my name except the clerk, and he spelled it wrong. No one to eat dinner with, laugh at my jokes, listen to my gripes, be happy with me about what happened today, and say, that's great. No one cares. There's just this lousy bed and slush in the street outside between the buildings. I feel sorry for myself, and I have plenty of reason to. Maybe I ought to say I'm on top of it, praise the Lord, things are great. But they're not. Tonight, it's all gray slush. That guy needs a refuge too. Depressed people uh, don't need critics, ladies and gentlemen. They heard enough already. They need a refuge. Let me tell you. Let me tell you another reason why we need a refuge. Because we're sinners. And sometimes our sin makes us stupid. And our conscience begins to operate and guilt begins to trouble us. And we begin to think thoughts that we really don't want to think. I I want to read you something again, uh, several things this, this morning. But this is from an old British minister. And he said, this is the bitterest of all. To know that suffering need not have been That it is the harvest of one's own sowing. That the vulture which feeds on the vitals is a nestling of one's own rearing. Ah me, this is pain. Haunted by self-inflicted wounds. Self-inflicted sorrow. And so we look for a place to hide. Guilt-laden people, they don't need more guilt piled on. They need a place to hide and heal. They need a refuge. Ladies and gentlemen, here's my point this morning. The church is supposed to be a city of refuge. We are supposed to cry out to a lost world, refuge, refuge. You know, according to the rabbis uh, concerning these cities of refuge in Joshua 20, according to uh, a Jewish tradition, um, in order to aid the fugitive to arrive at the city of refuge, It was the business of the Sanhedrin to keep the roads that led to these cities of refuge in the best possible repair. No hills were left. Every river was to be bridged. And the road itself was to be at least 32 cubits wide, which is about 48 feet. At every bend, at every turn in the road to the city of refuge, there was to be a signpost with the word refuge emblazoned on it. And then two students of the law were appointed to accompany this fleeing man to pacify, if possible, the avenger should the avenger overtake the fugitive. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, every effort was to be made to assist, not to harass this fugitive. And I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that all of us need a place like that. So you're divorced. Alone. Feeling rather guilty about it. You need a refuge. You you just lost your job. And it was your fault... You need a refuge. Your child just entered a chemical dependence program. Your daughter just told you that she has an STD. Everybody hurts, ladies and gentlemen, but not everybody lives an honest and vulnerable life that admits that they hurt. Why? Well, very often there isn't a place where they feel safe. The church ought to be that place, second only to the home. I, I read of a research study that was done just recently by a group of psychologists. And what they were trying to do is to discover the places um, where average people, like us, fake it. And so they came up with the three top places where average people like us tend to fake it. First... We we tend to put on airs when we visit the lobby of a fancy hotel. Isn't that the truth? Um, secondly, we, we typically fake our true feelings when we're alongside a salesperson at a new car showroom. The third place where we tend to fake it is... You guessed it. Church. Tragically. In a place where there ought to be room to be authentic. We'll paint on these funny smiles and slap backs and masquerade to hide what is really in our hearts, the fact that we hurt. You know, I, I have often said that if you just knew the pain of the people who are sitting in the pew in front of you and in the pew behind you look around. You'd be shocked. Everybody hurts, ladies and gentlemen, and we've all been shot and we all bleed red and including the one behind the pulpit. I want to read you something from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was, of course, executed in 1945 by Hitler. Um, and his words are a little bit dated, but he but what he says is wonderful. But he calls the church fellowship a fellowship. So keep that in mind as I read this. This is the pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. It is the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to understand, that it confronts us with the truth and says, You are a sinner. A great, desperate sinner? Now come as the sinner that you are to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. So if we can't do that at church, then where in the world can we do it? I've got an idea how about the bar I love to read this this is from John Stott's book one people he says this the neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give his church it's an imitation dispensing liquor instead of grace escape rather than reality but it is a permissive accepting and inclusive fellowship It is unshockable. It is democratic. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others, or even want to. The bar flourishes, not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known, to love and be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. With all my heart, I believe that Christ wants his church to be a fellowship, where people can come in and say, I'm sunk, I'm beat, I've had it. And then I add, he wants his church to be a city of refuge. You know, churches need to be less like country clubs and more like the local bar, ladies and gentlemen. A place where people... Where a place that's open to all people, to everybody, where you can bleed, where you can take your mask off, and where you can um, you can have your wounds treated. A place where you can be real. A place where you can be safe. A refuge. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard what the church is supposed to be. But ah, how to produce it, that's another story. It's um, it's a question that is answered by the emblems that we have before you on this table. The mask that you wear may fool me but it will do you no good before God. You you, you don't have to go on lying to yourself about being a good person. You're not a good person. You can dare to be a sinner. And if that's what you are, then this is for you. And I hope that this will encourage you when I say everybody who participates in this sacrament this morning is saying I am a great, desperate sinner who needs a Savior. So when you watch all the people around you Participating. Just remember. They're saying that too. And so my fellow redeemed sinner. We're in good company. Our Father, I do pray that Gracie Van might be a safe place. A place where people can come and admit to what it is that so troubles their soul, a place where um, their secrets are kept, their failures are not broadcast, but that the gospel is celebrated in all of our lives, that Jesus Christ is the only remedy for the enormous aches and pains that we bear. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will Remind us of that as we participate in this sacrament, that indeed, what we're doing is admitting that we need a Savior. Oh, how we need not any Savior, but your Savior, oh God, Jesus Christ. So we celebrate his work just now. We pray in his name.